0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. As you may realize, today's lessons all have a common theme. Wisdom. In our Old Testament lesson, we see Solomon asking God, uh, sorry, God asking Solomon, what shall I give you? Of all the things that Solomon could have asked for, he said he wanted wisdom. And why, he gave a reason, because how great are God's people, and how am I to rule over them unless I have wisdom? And to that, God commended Solomon, and he gave him wisdom, and he gave him everything else besides that. Solomon was the richest man ever. Psalm 119 expresses the richness of true wisdom. Oh, how I love your law. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. I understand more than the age, for I keep your precepts. Now Solomon asked for wisdom so that he could properly understand how uh, God's law and how to rule his people justly. The psalmist here expresses that same regard for God's law as being true wisdom, the true source of wisdom. So then we come to our epistle lesson from Ephesians. In him, that is Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Christ's mission doesn't always appear wise, you know. It's the foolishness of the cross, God taking upon himself human flesh and then dying. But that's God's wisdom, which far exceeds ours. What was the word today? Inscrutable, that we read from Romans. God's ways are so far above ours. Okay, finally, we come to our gospel lesson. And we encounter the boy Jesus, who grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. Twelve years old. At twelve years old. You know, I always tell my kids about my grandfather, my mother's father. When he was twelve years old, he dropped out of school. Because his father died. And he was the oldest, and he had to take care of the rest of the family. So he ran the family farm. So at 12 years old, he, he dropped out. Well, that's what he did at 12. I mean, Hamilton's 14 and Violet is 10. So she's only two years away from that milestone. Anyway, 12 is a big, it is a big milestone in the Brown household. Now here's Jesus, 12 years old, and he's amazing. The teachers, everyone who's there, the teachers, the onlookers, people are there to teach. People are there to learn. You know, in the temple, they had courts set up around the temple and they would have teachers, rabbis there teaching, and people would come to learn and people would come to teach. All of them, both the ones that are there to teach and the ones that are there to learn, are amazed at the understanding that the boy Jesus has at 12. Of course, we understand that because he is God among us, God incarnate, God near to us. (coughs) So what is wisdom, anyway? Well, in our culture... Here's an idea of what wisdom looks like in our culture. Okay, gay is okay. There's nothing wrong with being gay. A man can dress like a woman and compete in women's sports. That's right. There's nothing wrong with that. That's wisdom in our culture. Well, after all, men and women are not really substantially different, right? Just kind of like different, you know, different outer Uh, aspects, but otherwise they're just the same, right? Because it's what's inside. They're more or less the same. This is wisdom. Humans were created through evolution. There's another one. This is the wisdom of our age. They just go around telling people that God created Adam and Eve, and um, you might get laughed at. A baby in the womb isn't a baby. Well, unless you want it, then it's a baby. Otherwise, it's an unwanted pregnancy. And then killing the baby is what we call health care. This is the world's wisdom. How about this one? Truth is relative. Well, you have your truth, and I have my truth, and she has her truth, and our truths are relative to, to each one of us. We make our own truth. This is worldly wisdom. Government is the answer to your problems. Science is the answer to your problems. Again, this is worldly wisdom. Love. Oh, love. Love is always nice, and it's always kind, and always gentle. There's no other expression of love other than gentleness and kindness and niceness. Okay, that's worldly wisdom. I don't want to get overly philosophical, but the last two here relate to matter. There are some people who say, and this is worldly wisdom, that all there is is what you see. This is the material world. This would be um, Carl Sagan, you know, when he said, uh, when he had that series, the, the Cosmos, and he said, matter is all that ever was or ever will be. You know, I'm paraphrasing. But that's it, it's just matter. If you can't see it, it's nothing. Then on the other hand, there are people who say, Oh, matter? Material? Oh, this is nothing. It's all about the spirit. And, there's, and matter, material, has no, no value or no importance, no meaningfulness. It's like walking down a, a ditch and you can fall off either side. But they're both wrong. But that is what counts as worldly wisdom in this world that we live in. And you can add to that list. I haven't. You'll thank me for that, that I stopped it somewhere. But you can add to that list. Now, let me ask you a question, a positive question here. If someone told you that gravity does not exist, and then they said, oh, let me take this ladder and put it up on the roof of the building, and they climbed up, and then they were standing on the roof and they were about to jump down. Well, gravity doesn't exist for me. I make my own truth. And gravity is not real, right? So, what's the loving thing to do? Well, they must know what's best. They've decided this for themselves. They've made their own mind up about this. Who am I to tell them that they're wrong? They don't believe in gravity. Isn't this just a matter of faith? Well, let's just let them not believe in gravity. See... That's not loving. The loving thing to do would be to confront their error and to say, no, look, just because you don't believe in gravity doesn't mean it doesn't exist, okay? Gravity is going to drag you down to the bottom of the the sidewalk and it's not going to be pretty. Please, don't do this thing. Okay, so that's gravity. Why is it any different when it comes to the issues of our day? So, for example, gender dysphoria. Oh, she she thinks she's a man. Well, we can't tell her any different. That's not loving. What? But see, that's worldly wisdom. Why is it any different when it comes to abortion? Oh, you know, it's it's her choice. a very personal choice. We just got to leave her and let her make this choice on her own. Perhaps, perhaps it is because... You are more sure of gravity than you are are of God's word. And herein lies the problem. This is not true wisdom. Foolishness is trusting anything above God's word. Whether it is your senses, your reasoning, your logic, you know. There's a place for for logic and reasoning. Of course, I'm not ruling that out. Just saying, do you trust it above God's word? That's the problem. Your political leaders, again, they're not bad. They do great things sometimes. And they do bad things, too. They do both. But do you trust them above God's word? Your intuition. Ooh, I just have this feeling in my gut. Your friends, society, people... Bending your ear about what you can and can't say and what's okay in public discourse. Pastor Brown, there are some things you just can't say in public. Just ask. <laughs> just ask my, my kids. They're here today. They can, they can be a witness that I don't hesitate to say what needs to be said sometimes. <clears throat> doesn't mean you can't say things in love. Okay, I'm not, I'm not advocating running around ticking people off and offending people. That's not at all what I'm saying. Trusting in those sources of knowledge above God's word, though, that's what is utter foolishness. That is lacking true wisdom. Now, on the other hand, wisdom is putting your confidence in God's word above all else. True wisdom recognizes that God cannot tell a lie. So what does God say about these things, for example? Gay, it's sin. Period. So is all manner of sexual immorality. This is sin. We just call it what it is. Again, this is not. This is not. Does not mean we run around picking on people or whatever. Well, why is it that we would tell someone that they are in sin? Well, to point them to the Savior. I, I'm thankful myself that someone once pointed me at my sin. And that God still does point me to my sin. You all confessed your sin with me at the start of our service. It's not that we're without sin. Man identifies as woman. Okay, a man shall not dress like a woman. That defies God's creation. God created male and female. You shall not confuse the two nor deny that which God created. We don't need to be confused about this. That's true wisdom. Wisdom from God. He created male and female. Men and women are not substantially different. Of course they are. (laughs) Men and women are very different. God said it was not good for man to be alone. Remember? So he created a helper fit for him. Men and women complement each other. Each have their own important responsibilities. In the created order, men are expected to lead and to live sacrificially for the sake of women. I mean, what kind of a society sends mothers and sisters and daughters to fight in wars? It's a debased society that has separated itself from true wisdom. Evolution. Oh, boy. Humans were created by God, not through evolution. If macroevolution were true, then God's word is a lie. God cannot lie. God's word is true. God's word says that he created man and woman and that it was good. Death did not exist until the fall. However, the theory of macroevolution, okay, this is the theory that people developed over billions of years through evolution, Well, that requires death in order for people to be created through this process. But God didn't create death until after the fall. Okay, death did not come into the world, I should say, until after the fall. Okay, so there you go. So evolution must be a lie. It is a false theory because it is a direct contradiction of the scriptures. So, what do we say with the worldly wisdom there? Wrong. It's worldly wisdom. Okay, a baby in the womb. Actually, I'm going to clarify that. An embryo, whether it is in the womb of a woman or in a test tube, sorry to be graphic about that, is a baby. An embryo is a baby. Moreover, God created man and woman and commanded them to be fruitful and multiply. A child is not a, a, an accident. A child is not something that went wrong, an illness that is to be cured. A child is a blessing from God. Jesus said, see to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. Wow. Think about that. These little ones, they have their own angel in heaven, seeing God's face, interceding for them, for their benefit. <sighs> All babies are loved by God. So who deserves to adopt a child? This is another worldly wisdom. Oh, well, we have to let this gay couple adopt a child, you know, because they feel fulfilled, blah, blah, blah. No. No. The answer is, well, the question's wrong. It's not a question of who deserves to adopt a child. Child is not an accessory that you add to your, your, you know, coupledom. The question is, does this child who has suffered the loss of their parents deserve to be adopted by a family who will love and care for them? And the answer is, yes, they do. This is how God does care for them. So we ask the question the wrong way. We say, this person deserves to adopt or they deserve to adopt. No, that's making the child an accessory, you know, like something that's to complete the adult. No, no, no. It's about the care of the child. Okay, truth is relative. My truth, your truth. No, that is worldly wisdom. Truth is absolute. Pontius Pilate, you know, was the original postmodernist. When he asked Jesus the question, what is truth? He asked, think about the irony. He was standing with the creator of the universe and he asked him, what is truth? Yeah, God's word is truth. God cannot lie whatsoever. He has said that is truth. This is true wisdom, and yet the world does ju- judge this the most harshly. The idea that God's word is truth is derisively called blind faith. Oh, you, you Christians, you just blindly believe what the Bible tells you. No, actually, it's a little bit more complicated than that. So let me break it down for anyone that might say that, that we just blindly believe what God's word says. All right. Here's the deal. People don't raise from the dead. Once you're dead, you're dead. Okay? We all have no problem understanding that. Yet at the same time, Jesus rose from the dead. Weird, huh? That's like what caused people to take notice and say, oh my gosh, I'm turning my world upside down, which they did. The early believers recognized. And there were hundreds of witnesses that saw him. You can prove in a court of law that Jesus Christ lived, uh, died, was buried, and was raised. You can prove it. It's, I, mean, I know I'm getting into reason now and logic. Well, we don't, we don't throw it out completely. It's, it, it has its place. <clears throat> now, Now, since people don't rise from the dead, but Jesus rose from the dead, I'm going to listen to what he has to say. And he had a lot of things to say about the scripture because he talked about the flood as though it was a literal thing. Jesus, didn't you know that the flood was just sort of made up? It's just a myth? Uh, No, it wasn't. He talks about Jonah being swallowed by a big fish and then coughed up on the sea. Jesus, didn't you know that that's just kind of a story? No, it's not a story. He talked about Adam and Eve as though they were two historical people that God had created and put in a garden and fell into sin. Oh, Jesus, (laughs) please. Don't you know that this is just a make-believe story? And Jesus says, no, this is true. This is wisdom. This is true wisdom. And be confident in that. This is God's word. Jesus told his disciples, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's from John 14. So we have good, solid reason to believe the scriptures because Jesus testifies to them and Jesus promised to the, to the apostles That the Holy Spirit would guide them in teaching. When we confess one holy apostolic faith in our creed, what we're confessing is that our scriptures were compiled by prophets and apostles who were being carried by the Holy Spirit as they wrote this down. As they recorded God's Word, they were bringing this God's Word to us. Yes, they were humans. Yeah, Simon Peter, I mean, for example, we know he made mistakes. But that didn't stop God, the Holy Spirit, from working through him to record his teaching, which is God's word to us. So yeah, we have very good reasons for trusting God's word. It's not just a, you know, oh, we take it on blind faith. That's absurd. Okay, government is the answer to our problems. No, it's not. Government cannot save you from your sins. government can do all kinds of great things, and I'm for government. I'm not an anarchist. Okay, but government cannot save you from your sins. Science, that's the answer to our problems. No. Same point. Science cannot save you from your sins. I'm all in favor of science. I mean, (laughs) this building is standing because it has steel framing and a concrete slab. And it's scientifically designed and built. I'm all in favor of science. Oh, and when I was sick, I was taking like Sudafed and, and, and chicken soup, you know, so, so all of it. So science is great, but it can't save you from your sins. Love is always nice, always kind, always gentle, right? Oh, this is a popular perception. Worldly wisdom says that about love. You know what love looks like. It's never saying anything cross. It's always saying nice, pleasant things. No, that is so wrong. We can't reduce love to this ephemeral feeling like that. That's terrible. Love looks like Jesus Christ. That's what love looks like. God taking upon himself our weak flesh, our human frailty. God's love has been revealed in many ways. Judgment. Discipline throughout the old testament, throughout the new, throughout your own life. God's love has been shown in discipline. If everything always went your way and everything was always sunny, you probably wouldn't even know you needed a savior. God's love sometimes looks like Jesus in the in the temple overturning tables in anger. That's love. So let's not have this worldly wisdom of love is always kind and gentle and nice. No, that, that's not true love. <clears throat> all that is real is material. All that is meaningful is not material. This, this dualism, this, this idea that matter is, is either all that there is, that's wrong. But then to say that matter is bad and that the, the spirit is all that is, that's wrong too. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. See, God created all of the, everything you see, he created out of what you don't see. Yeah, there's a whole world we don't see that's immaterial. In other words, all that is seen, all material has been created by what is not seen. Yet that which is not seen is no less real. And God has created all things, both seen and unseen. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.18, Paul says, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So Paul is saying that if you're, if you're thinking that all that exists is what you see, the material, you're missing the greater part of God's creation, which are the things that are not seen. But does that mean that matter doesn't matter? Matter doesn't matter. Does that mean that material, the material is nothing? No. God loves you, and you are a real, fleshly, human person. How much does God love you? He loves you so much that Jesus Christ took upon himself our flesh, That's how much God loves us. So we can't say matter doesn't matter. You're going to receive here in the sacrament the material and the immaterial, the visible and the invisible. You will receive a wafer. You will receive wine. And yet you will also receive Christ's body and Christ's blood. And you will also receive forgiveness and a building up of your faith as God works through this sacrament. So we can't say that matter doesn't matter. and We can't say that what's immaterial is all that there is. All right, <clears throat> just about finished here. Does this sermon sound like a rant against the world? It's not. It's a rant against Satan. By cunning deception, Satan twists words and he creates lies. Remember, he's the father of lies. The Apostle Peter admonished us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour Don't be deceived by false wisdom. True wisdom is God's word. God's word imparts the ultimate wisdom. I've talked about worldly issues here and and true wisdom versus worldly wisdom. But the ultimate wisdom, the ultimate wisdom is what we really get from God's word. And that is that Jesus Christ died for your sins. That Jesus Christ was raised for your justification. In him, you have redemption through his blood. If I could use the words from Paul's uh, epistle reading this morning. In Christ, you have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of, of sins which he lavished on you. In him you have obtained an inheritance. In him you have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.